SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Wada, hello, I'm your host Marcellus Inalunga, and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday, 9th of February. Coming up on today's show, NITV Radio chats with Kawa, Cookie Yalanji, and Waka Waka woman Nina Kobe. Also, coming up on the show, we chat to Wiradjuri Barkanji man Yinjamara Johnson, who has been cast in Priscilla, Queen of the Deserts, the musical kicking off tonight in Wagga Wagga. And the Productivity Commission have released a scattering first report into the Closing the Gap Agreement. All these stories and more coming up after News Wrap, News Wrap Week with Luana Grant. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. The federal government will compensate more than 13,000 Indigenous Australians who lost money from a predatory funeral insurer which benefited from tactic Commonwealth approval. Formerly called the Aboriginal Community Benefit Fund, UPLA collapsed in 2022 after its practices were examined by the Banking Royal Commission. Between 2001 and 2017, it was the only funeral fund to use the government-run system Centrepay to debt millions of dollars from Centrelink payments. Indigenous Australians Minister Linda Burney says the government will compensate anyone who had taken out insurance with UPLA on or after August 1, 2015. First Nations organisations are demanding governments live up to their promises on closing the gap after the Productivity Commission released a scathing report. The report is the first of the Commission's three yearly review into the National Agreement on Closing the Gap targets. It has found progress to implement the agreement reforms was weak and recommended governments embrace power sharing and greater accountability. CEO of the Yothu Yindi Foundation, Denise Bowden, says the findings are depressing and predictable. She spoke to SBS about what she thinks needs to be done. Uh, obviously um, a, a mechanism that triggers the action part of implementing these uh, um, closing the gap targets so that we don't continue to con- constantly talk about it. Uh, we're not we're not spending our resources on uh, collection of data and statistics. We already know uh, the picture and, and how it's been painted and this is not news. Green Senator Dorinda Cox says the inquiry she's led into missing and murdered Indigenous women and children is producing compelling evidence, but she wants to see greater cooperation from authorities and potentially a royal commission. The landmark National Inquiry has received more than 40 submissions detailing the disproportionately high rates of violence against First Nations women and children. 
Ms Cox, a Noongar and Yamaji woman, has told the ABC this week the inquiry is a good starting point, but she wants greater transparency about the figures at a national level. She says there is anecdotal evidence that in some jurisdictions, no one is looking for Indigenous women who are known to be missing. What I do think is there needs to be a more intensive look at that and possibly a Royal Commission. Um, what we haven't had is uh, the cooperation from particular jurisdictions in my home state of Western Australia that we would have liked to have seen the police and other people uh, come to the table and have more conversations about uh, their responses in particular and not just about historical cases but also more recent ones. Uh, we need to be able to look at this in greater detail. We also need to have much more time The inquiry is due to release its final report in June. If this story raises issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or the Kids Helpline on 1800 551 800. Specialised crisis support for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is available via 13 Yarn by calling 13 92 76. Native title holders from the Gulf of Carpentaria region have won a High Court appeal preventing a mining giant expanding onto Aboriginal land without having their say. In 2013, Glencore applied for a mineral lease from the MacArthur River Mining Project, with plans to build a facility on land to undertake a dredging project. While Glencore owns the pastoral lease for the land, it is subject to native title. The High Court unanimously overturned a federal court judgment on Wednesday that the new infrastructure facility was too remote from mining and couldn't be regarded as necessary for the meaningful exercise of the right to mine. This week, tributes have poured in across the political spectrum for the Yukonjara woman who passed away at her Adelaide home at age 91 last weekend. Dr O'Donoghue was renowned as the first Aboriginal person to train as a nurse, as well as her roles lobbying for native title rights and serving as the founding chair of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission known as ATSIC. Aboriginal leader and founder of the Cape York Partnership, Noel Pearson, says the legacy of trailblazer Loija O'Donoghue will not fade as the Indigenous community mourns and remembers her life's achievements. Noel Pearson has remembered Dr O'Donoghue as the country's greatest Indigenous leader. Her sacrifice for the cause of her people and her dedication to our welfare led to so many good things under her leadership. When she led ATSIC between 1990 and 1996, they were our best years. We gained so much. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has convened his war cabinet at the Defence Ministry in Tel Aviv. It comes after Mr Netanyahu rejected Hamas's ceasefire terms and says he will expand the offensive into the southern Gaza town. Rafa is the main entry point for humanitarian aid and more than half of Gaza's population has fled there seeking refuge. Egypt has said any operation there or mass displacement across the border would undermine its four-decade-old peace treaty with Israel. Efforts have begun to help unload more than 16,000 cattle and sheep, which have been stranded at sea for more than a month. The livestock became stranded following multiple attempts to get to the Middle East through the Red Sea, where there is ongoing conflict.
Although the ship arrived back in Australian waters last month, it was stranded at sea due to biosecurity risks. A magnitude 4.3 earthquake has rattled Melbourne and many parts of Victoria. The quake struck in the early hours with its epicentre near the South Gippsland town of Leongatha. Several other tremors have been reported in Victoria over the past year. Adam Pascal from the Seismology Research Centre has told Channel 7 local damage could be caused at that strength. It's been felt over a large area and again it's because of Australia being an old cold hard rock and energy waves travel a lot further so it has been felt over a large area again. Uh, it certainly made me wake up. I uh, went in the upper floor at home and uh, upper floors tend to shake a little bit more. So it was only about a second or two of shaking uh, and I'm, I'm in Melbourne, so it's about 130-odd kilometres away. So, yeah, look, a lot of reports from Melbourne, but certainly in the uh, epicentral area would have given people quite, quite a fright, I imagine. Yesterday, the Lord Mayor of Sydney, Clover Moore, officially launched the city's 28th annual Lunar Festival. Celebrations for the 2024 Lunar New Year have begun with the sales of the Sydney Opera House lit up in red in honour. This year is the Year of the Dragon, said to represent power, strength and luck. The Lord Mayor said the city would be throwing a 16-day party with food, music, art and performances, as well as one of the biggest dragon boat races in the Southern Hemisphere. The Sydney Lunar Festival is one of Sydney's most important festivals. It brings together our communities. It highlights our diversity. It highlights our culture, our art and our innovation, of which we are very proud. And that is NITV News Wrap of the Week. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome. Welcome back. I'm your host, Marcella Sinalunga, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, NITV Radio chats with Kawa Kukuyalanji, Waka Waka woman Nina Kobe. And NITV Radio's Luana Grant catches up with Wiradjuri, Barkinji man Yinjamara Johnson, part of the cast of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical. But first, the Productivity Commission have released a scattering first report into the Closing the Gap Agreement. The report finds that without fundamental systemic and policy changes, the government will continue failing to close the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. All Australian governments made a commitment in 2020 to work to overcome entrenched inequalities faced by many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. But new evidence suggests governments are largely failing to deliver on these commitments. A damning report released this week by the Productivity Commission has found that despite some good pockets of policy making, governments are largely failing to progress on their goals. The Closing the Gap report instead finds that the government's action towards achieving their goals stated outcomes have been both weak and inconsistent, lacking in any systematic approach, and as a whole making little valuable contribution to the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. 
Gyamaji Nonga woman and Green Senator Dorinda Cox says while the report is an excruciating read, it's a perfect example of truth-telling. What we see in this report is the attitudes, the institutional violence and racism that exist. And I'm going to quote here, actually exacerbates the problem, doesn't remedy the problem of discrimination and disadvantage in Indigenous communities. These types of attitudes of not closing the gap, not every minister, not every head of department in this building and in this country taking responsibility to close the gap is why we see these attitudes perpetuate that for us. This is a good opportunity to do truth and treaty. It is an opportunity for this nation to move forward and we have that opportunity and we should start that now. The Closing the Gap Agreement outlines four priority reforms, which stands as its central pillars. The first reform priority is the establishment of formal partnerships and shared decision-making, which the report has found is rarely achieved in practice. The report says that while successive governments have demonstrated a willingness to relinquish some control over decision-making, the assumption remains that government knows best. Nationals leader David Littleproud says that shared decision-making must come from a local perspective. You can't say that someone that doesn't live in that community can give you the best solutions. That's about taking the people that, that work here in Canberra out of Canberra and sitting them around campfires and town halls with Indigenous elders, designing that local program. Because the solution in Kanamala is not the same that all the, pro- the, the issues that we've got in Roma, or as it is in Camelwheel, as it is in Carnarvon in Western Australia. And so that's the problem that we've had, is we continue to try and do this at big levels, send people here, bureaucrats generalise and then nationalise programs that don't work. They've got to be local programs. And we've seen it where it does work, and that's why the common sense solution that we think uh, should happen about empowering local elders because they're the ones that know best. The second priority reform commits to building the community-controlled sector, which involves delivering more services and funding to Aboriginal community-controlled organisations. However, after hearing from a number of ACCOs, the review finds that those organisations often treated simply as passive recipients of government funding, rather than a critical community services that they are. The report has found that the government often imposes generic, pre-existing models of service and programs designed when delivering to Aboriginal communities rather than working with Aboriginal communities to deliver individualised services. Gunditjmara woman and CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, Jill Gallagher, told the ABC that community-led organisations have been saying this for years. Well, basically, Aboriginal community controlled organisations, we need to be at that table a lot sooner than what we are and um, we need to have control and empowerment to actually make decisions Uh, Because at a local level, we know our communities, we know the issues and we know the solutions. Independent Senator Jackie Lambie says the government needs to do more to understand the differences between communities. I'll tell you what, how about they get around those communities like I have done over the last 10 years. I actually might learn something, go in there with um, a clear head and have a look. No, No ideology, no nothing and work it out because it's actually... I think that what they're doing is that they're making it so difficult. Keep it simple, stupid. That's all the Indigenous want you to do. And every community that you go to is slightly different to the one you went beforehand. 
The third reform priority in the Closing the Gap Agreement commits to transforming government organisations. Yet the recent report says that there has been a stark absence of government policies with any clear vision or strategy on delivering the transformations promised. It finds that while individual-level actions have been taken, such as cultural capability training and strategies to increase the employment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the public sector, meaningful systems while changes are yet to be made. The report says that without external perspectives involved in the development of such strategies, issues like institutional racism, unconscious biases and cultural safety are still at play in government structures. Queensland MP Bob Catter says the current system in place are working against the well-being of First Nations people in the country. If the rest of the world finds out about it, we are going to be the South Africa of this century as the rest of the, and the rest of the world will find out about it. Um, and uh, I hate to say it, but that's what we deserve. I mean, there's the figures. You know that their life expectancy is, depending on which set of figures you want to look at, 56. I think 54 is the more accurate figure. Their life expectancy is 54. They can't get a job because they've got to get a blue card. They can't open a business because they can't get a title deed. Um, so what have you done to them? What are you doing to them on a daily basis? Why do you hate them? The fourth and final priority reform commits to the shared access to data and information at regional levels. This commitment requires governments to implement large-scale changes to data systems and practices, enabling Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to participate in decision-making to use such data to inform programs and services in their communities. The report finds that not only is the government making very little progress on enacting these changes, but that the existing data is failing to capture the values, diversity and social structures of local communities. It says that the inequities and unavailability of such data leads to perpetuation of deficient narratives, which places blame on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people for inequalities they face and lead to ill-conceived policy solutions. CEO of the Yothiundi Foundation, Denise Bowden, spoke to SBS about what she thinks needs to be done. Uh, obviously, um, a, a mechanism that triggers the action part of implementing these uh, um, closing the gap targets, so that we don't continue to con- constantly talk about it. Uh, we're not we're not spending our resources on uh, collection of data and statistics. We already know uh, the picture and and how it's been painted, and this is not news. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says the government is working to find solutions to the issues. We need to do more and the government acknowledges that. Uh, we're doing work, particularly at the moment, on, on a, across a range of issues. We're talking about how do you build housing in remote Australia? How do you uh, increase uh, the use of justice reinvestment? How do you create employment through Indigenous Rangers programs? How do you convert the CDP what effectively is a work for the Dole program, into real jobs with real skills, creating real opportunity for First Nations people. How do you improve health outcomes for Indigenous Australians? But many Indigenous leaders, including Denise Bonin, says the solution to these questions are not a secret and that both state and federal governments are responsible for listening. It seems to me uh, the pieces that uh, are missing uh, listening to Indigenous communities saying the same thing. And, I mean, this is 
again, no, not news. We, we've our submission talks about reforming the GST model. We've we've provided some solutions. Have a listen to what we're we're saying because we actually do have some um, amazing pieces of work, and we we've actually done a lot of work on the ground here in northeast Arnhem Land. Um, both the Commonwealth and state governments all have a part to play in this. This is not a finger pointing exercise. And that story was produced by Sydney Lang for SBS News. We'll be back with more after the break. You're listening to NITV Radio. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Next up, NITV Radio's Luana Grant catches up with Jinjamara Johnson, part of the cast of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical. Today I'm joined by Yinjamara Johnson, who is part of the cast of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical, with the production kicking off this evening at Wagga Civic Theatre. Thanks for joining me, Yindi. Yeah, that's all right. How are you feeling today? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good, getting a bit nervous for the show. Firstly, can you start off by telling the audience a little bit about yourself, um, who's your mob and where you're from? Yeah, I'm Yuridamaran. Good day. I'm Yinjamara Johnson. I'm a proud Rajari Barkaji and Yampa young man. Uh, my mob is Johnson's, Kirby's. Ingram's, Harris's, and yeah, I come from Mudawindji and Kiya Creek. And you're currently living in Wagga. How long have you been there yeah. for now? About five years. You go to um, school in Wagga, you're in year 11, and... Yeah. Something else amazing, as I mentioned before, you've been named in the cast of the iconic uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical. That's super exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about the role, about your role, sorry, in the production and the character that you play? Uh, Yeah, so I play Jimmy and they basically meet him out bush and he is like an Aboriginal tour guide and so he's going around with his tourist and he meets the drag queens out in the bush and that's basically it, just Aboriginal tour guide basically. And how did this all come about? Like where, how did you first hear about the play and, you know, the audition? Like how did that all come about for you? Um, well, my teacher, Mrs Brown, um, she come up to me and ask me if I'd like to audition because she's the choreographer for the um, musical. So I was like, yeah, sounds great. And I went in and auditioned and got the role. That's awesome. And what's um, like the process been like with the rehearsals? You know, I can imagine it would be, you know, pretty intense, especially in the lead up to such a big production. How have you found that whole process, you know, personally? Oh, uh, it was it was pretty um scary at the start and then I got a bit used to it and then it got a bit scary during um the last week because 
uh, there was a lot of things happening. And now it's really exciting because get to actually go out there and perform the show. Mm. Are you feeling, like, nervous or excited? Like, what's what kind of emotions are you feeling, like, especially in the lead-up to the kickoff to the show? bit of both. I'm a bit nervous, but I'm mostly excited. I reckon it's going to be really fun. Mm. And you've got a background in, in dance, song and acting. Can you tell us a little bit more about, like, other productions that you've been a part of? Well, I've mainly just um, done some traditional dancing, I've sung traditional songs with my mother, Latisha Harris, and this is the first, going to be the first real, like, proper production I've been in with an audience, and it's pretty, it's a pretty good first one, and it's pretty exciting first one, so I'm excited for this. Yeah, so, so exciting and such an amazing opportunity for you as well. And, you know, being able to, you know, take this role and hopefully, you know, take on other roles in the future. But you did just mention, um, you know, you perform traditional song and dance with your family, you know, since you were a little kid. What does that mean to you and, you know, your culture? Oh, it means a lot that I'm able to share that stuff and other people can see me performing it and know that culture can still live on through younger ones. So I think it's pretty cool for other people to see it and for me to share it with other people and then to experience that kind of stuff. Mm, And you are in year 11. Um, Is a future in acting on the cards, is that what you want to do? You want to be a performer? Uh, Yeah, that's my main goal, performance. Oh, it would be, it'd be a cra- it's a crazy dream, but I reckon if I work towards it, I might be able to achieve it. Yeah, well, you're definitely achieving it already, you know, being in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the musical, and the production kicks off tonight at Wagga Civic Theatre. How are you feeling ahead of the first show? I can imagine that, you know, you'd be having, you know, a lot of family and friends coming along, you know, that would add to a bit of the pressure. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually really exciting. A bit nervous in case I mess up, but I reckon I've been going good. You'll be fine. (laughs) Haven't messed up in a bit, so I reckon um, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it'll be awesome. And how's your mum feeling about it? She must be so excited and, you know, obviously really, really proud of you. Yeah, she is. When when I told her about the... um, about auditioning, she was like, wait, really? She was so amazed and then when I got it she was so excited and then yeah she's been helping me throughout the way taking me to rehearsal cooking me a feed when I get back (laughs) yeah she's she's great and she would definitely be really proud of you especially you know with the first show and you know I wish you all the best and I'm really proud of you and I can't wait to come down and watch uh, you in this amazing production. And as I mentioned, the show opens tonight and runs up until the 24th of February. And for more info, you can visit the Wagga Civic Theatre website. So, Yindi, thank you so much for coming on the show and all the best. Yeah, thank you for having me. Multi-award winning singer-songwriter Emily Watamara has released a brand new single. 
It's called Magic Woman Dancing, and it marks the start of a new era for the artists. NITV News' Ricky Kirby has more. A song a decade in the making, penned by Emily while she was still in high school. I wrote this song when I was in such a young age and I think the lyrics transcend that that youth and now that I'm mature and, and I'm a woman, I'm a mother, um, you know, I, I feel like I relate to the song more deeply because of the experiences that I, I had to go through. The Warnandiliagwa artist says the lyrics explore the good and bad in life. You need a balance of both good and bad in order to grow, in order to be the best version of you can be. The track is accompanied by a sci-fi fantasy-inspired music video filmed across different locations of Luchawira, Tasmania. It takes this, the listeners and the viewers on a journey, a visual journey of what Magic Woman is going through emotionally, spiritually, physically as well. And this whole rebirth of how beautiful and, and powerful that is. It's the first taste of Emily's as yet unannounced second album set to be released later this year, marking what Emily has called a rebirth. Yeah, and purely making music for the love of the a love of the music and I'm writing the songs that I'm writing based on my own experiences and my own stories and I think that that's very vulnerable, but I also believe vulnerability is powerful and that to me is staunch. Ricky Kirby, NITV News. He's been a footy star, presenter and successful author. Now AFL legend Eddie Betts can add TV producer to his resume. A new NITV and Netflix series based on his children's books premiered in Melbourne last weekend to a riveted crowd of eager youngsters. Dan Rennie from NITV News was there. Smile! No stranger to the cameras. His next step into the world of animation. Eddie's Little Homies, capturing a young audience. Hopefully they can see themselves in this cartoon series and relate to the kids and characters in the cartoon series as well. There's a new crew in the playground. Are you ready? You can't spell ready without Eddie, so let's get to it. Based on Eddie Betts' popular children's book series, the TV show follows a group of friends and their playground adventures. Music included. Bring your imagination. I think the music in this show is amazing. It's filled with all these original rap songs and I think it's going to make the show stand out and I just got them all stuck in my head. A joint production between NITV, Netflix and the Australian Children's Television Foundation. The show encourages imagination and kindness and the importance of diversity. Seeing yourself represented when you're a kid is so important. It's something that I didn't have and sorry, it actually gives me like goosebumps now to think that I get to be in something that can be what I guess I wish I had when I was a kid. Also starring is eight-year-old Billy Betts, Eddie's son. Just watching him in the studio, he's just a natural, and I never thought that would would happen. And and now that he's you know done it and he's voiced his character, I guess if he if anything comes out of it, if he wants to go acting, he can. If he wants to do something like that, he can. You don't always have to play footy like that. You know, you can chase whatever you want to chase. Voice acting, an experience Billy is all too keen to do again. Yeah, I'm going to be Spider-Man. Yeah, why, why do you like Spider-Man? Because I climb like him. 
with the show premiering on NITV Friday the 16th and Netflix on Saturday the 17th. Eddie Hopes conveys at least one important message to our kids. The main message for me doing this series is that, you know, I wanted Aboriginal people and Torres Strait people here in Australia to know that we belong in all spaces, no matter what. And you should be proud and you should chase your dreams because your dreams won't chase you back. Dan Rennie, NITV News. Freddy's Little Homies. There's a new crew in the playground. Are you ready? You can't spell ready without Eddie, so let's get to it. And we want you to be part of the game. Awesome! Yes! Big Dog, why don't you take it away? Oh. So come on, bring your imagination, because best friends yeah. always have the best fun. Stop! Unauthorised use of a ladder in a public area. Well, nearly always. Oh. <laughs> We're Freddy's Little Homies. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. Welcome back. I'm your host, Marcella Sinalunga, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Award-winning First Nations soprano Nina Korba is an accomplished young performer, quickly establishing herself in the opera industry as a rising talent. This year, the Kowa Kukuyalanji Waka Waka Woman will be making her professional debut in the role of Maria in West Side Story with Opera Australia. Joining me for NITV Radio is Nina Korba, who is a Kowa, Kukuyalanji and Waka Waka woman. She has been casted in the lead in the hit production of West Side Story, returning to Sydney Harbour in March. Nina, thank you so much for joining me today. Firstly, can I just uh, get you to tell us about yourself and who your mob are? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. As you said, my mob are Kawa Kukuyalanji and Waka Waka. So I have historical ties to Waka Waka through the Sherberg Mission. That's where my family, like my grandparents um, and my great-grandparents were born. And then we trace all our lines back out to Kawa, which is out in Winton. So uh, you've uh, been casted uh, as Maria in the West Side Story. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that role? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Maria is a really beautiful character. She's quite young, a little bit naive, and has this beautiful innocence to her. But I think her naivete in the world that she finds herself in is something that makes her quite beautiful. She is willing to see the best in people and just wants to believe that love has no boundaries and that the prejudice that she faces isn't as real as it is. And I think you see her grow quite drastically and very quickly over the course of the musical. I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, My gosh, what a lucky person who doesn't know the story of West Side Story. It would be great to see it for the first time. Uh, So, yeah, it'll be my professional debut with Opera Australia, and I could not be more excited to be premiering with this company. You've got a a great uh, CV and... um Great experiences. You've travelled across the world, uh, throughout Australia um, and in the UK as well. You have did some studying over there. Can you tell us about how did you first get into opera? Yeah, so I was a lucky one who I knew I wanted to study music from a really young age and I've been fortunate to have incredible amounts of support from my family and mentors around me the whole way through. So I studied at the Queensland Conservatorium in Brizzy 
That's where I did my undergraduate, my Bachelor of Music Performance. So that was a four-year course. And then after that, I jumped ship over to London for two years to do my master's, which was absolutely incredible. I studied at the Royal Academy of Music, and I was really fortunate to be on a full scholarship for academic and um, accommodation while I was there. So the whole experience was really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I grabbed by the reins and ran with it. It was incredible. Um, I returned to Australia in the middle of 2022, and so I've been back here since then. But since being back in Australia, I've had the pleasure of performing again with Upper Queensland, with Queensland Youth Orchestra, Camrata, uh, Southern Cross Soloist. It's been really incredible. And I have to say a highlight has been recently I made my international debut in Germany and Austria with the Queensland Youth Orchestra on their international tour, which was such a brilliant experience. Yeah, I was about to to bring that up. Um, tell us about yeah the differences between um, the industry overseas and Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Something that's really quite apparent in terms of the differences between the Australian industry and the, I guess, UK and European industries from my experience is just the sheer volume of musicians and the talent overseas is incredible. But to be completely honest, I think the talent that we have on homegrown soil is pretty amazing as well. I don't think we are far off, if anything. We see Australian artists performing internationally all the time and absolutely killing it on every platform. So I think we should be really proud of the institutions that we have in Australia and the training that we have access to and the calibre of companies that we have in this country as well. It really is outstanding. But I do consider the fact that I've had this international training is a great privilege and I work with Queensland Youth Orchestra and Queensland Symphony Orchestra in an advisory capacity to help bring what I know of the industry to First Nations issues and hopefully I feel like this this is an area where my voice is actually meaningful and it's something I can contribute to. And you talk talk about uh, homegrown up-and-coming talents and uh, we've, we've, we've seen a couple of First Nations opera singers in the past, Harold Blair, Deborah Cheatham uh, and yourself. Uh, would you like to see more uh, young First Nations singers come and take on uh, opera more? Oh, absolutely. I think the pathway to opera is not the easiest one. I, I absolutely know that from experience. It is incredibly demanding, and sometimes it can feel like a little bit of a selfish pathway to follow because it just does demand so much of your time, and it demands so much of all the people around you. So if I can be in a position to help support the investment that it needs for First Nations artists. I would love to do that. And I think we are seeing that. Uh, Victorian Opera are doing Deb Cheatham's opera Parwong later on this year and Western Australia are premiering a new First Nations opera shortly. There's a lot of movement in the industry and I think it's a really exciting time for us. Nina, tell us about uh, what would you like to see more um, uh, in that space and opportunity for for First Nations uh, singers? What I think is really exciting is we are seeing culturally a slight shift, I think, in our state and national opera opera companies to employing and representing a really beautifully diverse Australian cast across their productions and across their season. And that's something that I'm particularly excited about with Opera Australia this year, being able to perform 
this role. She is such a beautiful representation of adversity that First Nations people can feel as an outsider. So giving opportunities as they have to someone like me in the industry and to also, as I'm aware, quite a diverse cast across the board with West Side Story. It's the landscape's changing and it's something that we should all be really proud of. And, um, and we as First Nations people, uh, we are storytellers and um, our ancestors have been um, singing and dancing for for millennia. And I think, you know, to use this this platform and a different method of storytelling um, through opera. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's really amazing to for, to see someone like you taking up uh, th- this platform and, and share stories, uh, First Nations stories and, and culture through Absolutely. opera. Yeah, there's something, as you said, it's just so beautiful to be able to bring that culture of storytelling and connection to a more classical art form. I think there's so much room for beautiful collaboration between classical arts and then our traditional arts as well. I think the possibilities are really beautiful there. That's amazing. So West Side Story musical returns to Honda Opera on the Sydney Harbour from the 22nd of March to the 21st of April. Uh, you can watch Nina Kobe uh, performing uh, as Maria. Nina, thank you so much for joining me on NITV Radio this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of, our, any of the stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Monday with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Marcella Sinalunga. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend.